For the last three weeks, we have been responding to questions that are hard ones to answer, but we've been doing our best to respond to them anyway. If you've not been here for the last couple weeks, here are the questions we've been responding to in this new series that started a couple weeks ago. Maybe you've asked some questions like this, like this first one. If God is all-powerful and wants to be known, why doesn't he just reveal himself in an undeniable way? That was three weeks ago. And then two weeks ago, we wrestled with this one. If God is all-powerful and he wants us to pray, why do so many of our prayers go unanswered? Especially prayers for healing and reconciliation and justice and deliverance from evil and temptation or a cool day for the fair or something like that. Number three, this is the one we did last week. We took this one on. If God is both great and good, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Well, these are the questions we've wrestled with so far. Here's the one we're going to talk about today. What's heaven like? What is heaven like? Now, if I were to have taken a survey of uh, Christians, of people who believe in heaven, if I were to take a survey, I'm going to just guess that people would respond primarily one of three ways. These three ways up here. I'm going to guess that there would be a number of people who would say, oh, it's you know like the pictures that you see in the kids' books, right? It's harps and halos and clouds. There's some people who would have some version of that. Maybe a little more sophisticated, but some version of that. I think there would be a whole lot of folks who would do B. It's beyond our comprehension. Beyond our understanding. I think a whole lot of people. This would probably be the most popular one. And then C. I think there's going to be some people that would answer. It depends. Let's, let's talk about these just, just briefly. Let's talk about the first one. I've attended churches all my life. And in every picture I've seen of heaven, when anyone's ever tried to describe it or, or, um, or put it into a picture, I've seen something similar to this. How about you guys? You've seen things like that? The halos, the harps, the clouds, right? I want to present to you that that's a very simplistic understanding of heaven. And it's not the picture of heaven that, that the Bible itself paints. I love this quote by a pastor. Some of us know this guy, Paul Anderson. Uh, he said this. He said, culture's caricature of heaven has overtaken us. Culture's caricature of heaven has overtaken us. You know what a caricature is, right? It, they had it at the state fair. They had one of those booths. It's where they take a person, they draw, and then they emphasize a certain feature or features, and they, they blow them up to like cartoonish proportions. And I would present to you that this is a caricature, that they're taking some elements, some, some symbols and some things that the Bible presents, and then they're making it too cartoony. Well, what about B? Let's talk about this one for a second. The beyond comprehension. Here's a, here's a pastor that, that, that describes this position. And he says this. He says, frankly, the capacity of our brains cannot handle the wonder and the greatness of heaven. It would be like trying to describe the internet to an ant. Now, I think he's technically correct on this. I think technically he's right that heaven is beyond comprehension. In fact, so many things about God are beyond comprehension. My girls pretty early on started asking about the Trinity. <laughs> Try to explain that when you got like four years old. You know, well, there's some things about God that are beyond our comprehension. And one of the things that you need to learn to do as a Christian is to, to carry what I call the mystery card. And there's times where you have to play that mystery card and go, this one we're not going to be able to get our arms fully around. But here's the thing. You play the mystery card too early. You miss out on a lot including things like the Trinity. You just play, oh, you can't, you can't comprehend the Trinity. You play that mystery card too early, you can miss some really important things about unity and, and, and God's character, God's essence. And I would present to you, if you play this card too early and you just say, 
Heaven is beyond our comprehension. If you play it too early, you can end up just having such a vague notion of heaven that it doesn't inspire you. And it doesn't get you thinking about what could be. And I would present to you even further that if you play the mystery card too early, you say heaven is just beyond our comprehension, you actually could start down a path that the Bible doesn't take us down. I think the Bible encourages us to press into some speculation and anticipation of what heaven can be like. The Bible says a lot about heaven. And the more I read the Bible's descriptions of heaven and the kingdom of heaven, I believe it is very, very, very important. And I did write down three varies in my notes. Very, very, very important for every Christian to capture a vivid and inspirational and biblical vision of heaven. You see, this C right here where it says it depends, this isn't, I'm not talking relativistic here. I'm talking biblical here. And let's go there. If you have your Bibles, let's dive right in. Or if, well, if you have your notes, let's start here. We're going to talk about, about the scripture from a, or talk about heaven from a biblical perspective. And let's start with this statement right here. What is heaven like? It depends. Which heaven are you talking about? Did you know when you look at the word heaven in the Bible, the Bible itself uses the word heaven in some different ways at different times? It's kind of like if you ever had one of those, uh, if you ever packed um, Christmas lights together, and, and they get all tangled up or, or extension cords or ropes and you have to untangle them. Sometimes people do that with heaven. They, 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 they kind of lump it all together when the Bible itself sometimes talks about heaven in different ways. Let me show you an example. We'll start with the first one here. And there's a place to write this down in your notes. The heavens can refer to the universe that surrounds the earth. The heavens can refer to the universe that surrounds the earth. Maybe you've had this happen before. You're reading through your Bible. You come to the word heaven, and you think, it sounds like he's, it's just talking about the sky. Sometimes it is. Sometimes when the Bible uses the word that we translate as heaven, sometimes it's just talking about that which is not earth. Let me give you an example of this. Genesis 7, 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, that would be an interesting one to talk about sometime. 600 years. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. This is one of the ways that the word heaven is used in the Bible. There's the earth and then there's the heavens. It's used sometimes in this way. And when people refer to heaven as up there, it's consistent with this use of the term and it's also consistent with the original languages. The Bible didn't come to us in English. It's a collection of documents that were primarily written in which two languages? Hebrew and Greek. So here are the words, the Hebrew and Greek words, that we translate as heaven. When we see the English word heaven, it comes from generally these two words. There's the Hebrew word, which means sky, heights, heaved up things, at least if you were to unpack the original definition. And then, then there's this one, Greek, sky, air, that which is raised up. So it's, it, fits, it fits the biblical languages, and it fits that definition. Sometimes the heaven... The term the heavens just refers to the universe surrounding the earth. Sometimes it's, it's a physical thing. Sometimes heavens is the physical part of our universe that contains the sun, the moon, the stars. Sometimes it refers to the part of the universe that holds the storehouses of wind and rain and hail and lightning and snow. But the same words sometimes move beyond that. Sometimes there's a different meaning ascribed to when we read the word heaven. And then I encourage you to write this down. Here's another meaning of the word heaven. Heaven can refer to God's dwelling place. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? Our Father who art in heaven. 
Now, they're not just talking about the sky there. They're talking about this unique dwelling place, or at least a place where God, in some unique way, dwells. Here's an example of that. This is from Psalm 33, verses 13 through 15. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all humankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. So to think of heaven as a place, it's more right than wrong, but this heaven that's being referred to here is not the kind of place that you can just travel to on a Segway or a rocket ship. Heaven, as described in the Bible, it's not defined or limited by some natural boundaries or natural laws, at least not the same ones that we experience here on earth. And as vast as the expanse of heaven is, it's not big enough to contain God. According to the Bible, from heaven, God can open, and it uses the word window, God can open a window from heaven to send blessings or curses. But it's not just blessings or curses that can come from that form of heaven to earth. It's also God. The Bible speaks of God himself coming down from heaven. God walked in the Garden of Eden. God met with Moses. God passed by Elijah. He dwelt, it says, in the tabernacle, then the temple. And in the New Testament, it says that his spirit dwells where? In our bodies. Our bodies become temples of his Holy Spirit. All right. So now we're starting to see this word sometimes takes on slightly different, well, more than slightly different meanings. Now let me throw another wrench in here. Let me, let me add the element of time. Because the element of time can affect which heaven you're talking about. There is a heaven. You can write this in your notes. There's a heaven that exists right now. There is a heaven that exists right now. One of the passages that comes up when people talk about the heaven that exists right now, one of the passages that's often cited is this one right here. In fact, this is probably the one that gets cited the most often when people talk about the heaven that exists right now and when they're not talking about uh, the, just the sky. This comes from when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Next to him was, were two criminals. One of them responded favorably to Jesus, and Jesus answered that man, Today... Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, that word paradise is used elsewhere too. Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians 12, 3. John uses the word paradise in Revelation 2, 7. And, and this is fun for me, this next part. There's an ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. Generally, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? And, and at least those documents that were collected as, as the Old Testament were in Hebrew. Well, there's an ancient, ancient document called the Septuagint. And it's a Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, this, this document called the Septuagint, it is looked at and held in extremely high regard. Why do I say that? I say that because some of the New Testament folks, when they quote the Old Testament, they're quoting from the Septuagint. They're quoting this Greek translation, okay? So I, I, I frame all that to say this. In the Septuagint, the same Greek word that is used right up here for paradise, that same Greek word that's used for paradise here is used in the Septuagint for the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. The word paradise was used to refer to the original Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. Follow me on this if you can. The, the, the imagery invoked by that word paradise, it's not like a garden, like a backyard garden. Garden of Eden is not paradise in the sense of it's like your backyard garden. This, this word paradise, the, the, the readers would have, would have thought about the private parks that kings would sometimes make. 
Sometimes kings would take their, these massive walls and they would wall in this huge courtyard and they would turn it into their own park, this lush garden. It was protected by walls. It was perfectly tended to. It had the most amazing plants that you could find and the park to get in. You had to have exclusive entry. The king had to invite you in. You didn't get to go to that park unless the king said you could go into that park. And what did Jesus say to that criminal? He said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today, you get to get in with me. And he said that on the cross the night before with his disciples. He even got more specific than that. This is what he said the night before his death to his, his closest disciples. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. This is from John 14, starting with verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, in this heavenly dwelling place that exists right now, there, there are many rooms. If that were not so, I would, have t- would I have told you that I was going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. So this heaven that we've just referred to as the dwelling place of God, it's not just the dwelling place of God. It's the dwelling place for God's covenant those who the king invites in. All who enter the kingdom of heaven in this life will be with him in the next. All right, now we interjected time into things. Here's, here's the piece that no, I don't remember a sermon on this ever growing up. There's the kingdom of heaven. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit more here in a second. But there's, there's the heaven exists now, and then there's a heaven and an earth that will be transformed in a future age into the new heavens and new earth. They'll be transformed in this future age when evil and injustice is forever eradicated from God's kingdom. Please write this down. And this isn't just me tripping up here or making something up. Here We've got some scriptures that testify to this. The Bible testifies to a new heaven and a new earth in an age yet to come. It was attested to by the prophet Isaiah. It was anticipated by Peter, one of the apostles. It was affirmed by John, an eyewitness to Jesus, along with Peter. And what we're going to do right now is take a look at this vision that was given to John. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to that passage on the screen. Revelation uh, 21, starting with verse 1. I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. We keep a stack of them right at those tables in the back, and they're there for you to take. You don't have to let us know or sign anything or anything like that. Now, what we're looking at right now is a vision that was given to John. John was an eyewitness to the life and teachings of Jesus. John was there the day that Jesus was nailed to the cross. John saw Jesus die, and he received instructions from Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. And then he was given this vision of an age yet to come. And this is part of this vision of this age yet to come. Here it is, Revelation 21, verses, we'll start with 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. There's a day coming 
when the Lord's Prayer will, will probably need to be altered a little bit. Because no longer will we pray, Our Father who art in heaven. It'll be our Father who art dwelling with us. An age is coming. And what will that mean for us? They continue on here with verse 4. On that day, he's going to wipe. Listen to this. Listen to this. On that day, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words, they're trustworthy and they are true. All right. I haven't had a good rant for at least two weeks. i got to rant here for a second. Got it. Why did I never hear a sermon on this growing up? Why was this not taught in Sunday school? Why was this not taught in youth group? Why was this not taught in confirmation? And then the conviction came, why have I not spoken of this much? Why do I not make sure we're teaching this in Sunday school yet? Why do I not make sure we're teaching this in youth group? This, this affects everything. This affects everything. Everything. This affects our vision of heaven, our understanding of what's waiting for us. This affects everything. Let us not reduce heaven to a caricature. Let us not make heaven so metaphysical that we don't have any vision at all of what it could be like. This affects everything. This affects whether or not we cling to life in this world or whether we wait with joyful expectation of what's to come. This affects whether or not we mourn the deaths of the saints like those who have no hope or whether we have confident expectancy of a great reunion. This affects whether or not there's urgency or complacency when it comes to sharing our faith. Is heaven beyond our comprehension? Yes and no. Yes, it will exceed our highest expectations, but we are given amazing jumping off points. The Bible gives us jumping off points. Yep, it's speculation anytime you jump off from a jumping off point, by definition, but we're given these jumping these jumping off points that I think just invite us to speculate and invite us to envision. There's going to be continuity. We're told there's going to be continuity between what is and what's to come. I'd encourage you to write this down in your notes. There appears that there's going to be a strong element of continuity between what is and what's to come. There's going to be continuity with the temple. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? It matters because if there's an applied continuity, we have a concrete jumping off point to dream and speculate and envision. Let's talk about the temple. Consider the temple. The the, the temple that Solomon built, it was a real place, real man, real location. You can see the site that it was built on today. The Holy of Holies in this temple that Solomon built, it was a little 30-foot cube. It was a really cool 30-foot cube, probably one of the coolest places on earth at the time. But it was very exclusive, very exclusive. The only person that could enter this cool little space, this sacred space, was the high priest. And he had to be a he. So that eliminates a whole lot of folks. And he had to be from a certain tribe. And he could only enter the Holy of Holies once a year. Catch a vision now of this new Jerusalem that is described in Revelation. It's a 1,400-mile cube. 1,400-mile cube. And it is 
filled with God's glory. And all God's people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation are going to join together in this 1,400-mile auditorium. And when are we going to first do that? We're going to first do that on the day when evil has been eradicated. And death is no more. And all that should be is. So there's some celebration for that right there. Well, then on that day of celebration, we all get to pile into this great auditorium. 1,400 miles, that's from here to Tallahassee, Florida. I looked it up. Really close. I tried to find, well, this works. Right. Uh, roughly. Tallahassee. So getting the scale of this thing. So we come flooding in there. And we come flooding in there. And we get to see, that was Noah. No way. You know? That was There's Mary and Martha. You know those two sisters. There's Mary. She's in the front row. Where's Martha? She's in the concession stand. But she's there, right? They're there. There's Mary. There's Martha. We're going to walk by angels. The Bible doesn't say we become angels. The Bible describes these angels. They're totally separate beings. We've talked about before. We're going to walk by and go, whoa. I'll be able to keep it cooler probably then. I won't be like, whoa. What's up? You know, but... Inside, we're going to be going, whoa, because it's going to be really, really cool. And, and we're going to see all these different beings, beings we've never even seen before. And our loved ones in Christ are going to be there. The saints who've gone before us are going to be there. We're going to get in there. And, oh, we're going to see all these people. Earlier this month, um, a couple of us had a chance to be a part of an event that drew together Christian leaders from 100,000 of us all around the world. And we were in a, a site where they were beaming this via video. And one of the things they beamed was, as part of um, just some entertainment between the sessions, they had that guy who was on America's Got Talent that did the Earth Harp, William Close. If you, you recognize, maybe some of you guys have seen this. What this guy does is he turns the auditorium, he turns the auditorium into the instrument. And in this case, what he did, he had this thing called the Earth Harp, and these strings went all the way across the room in the auditorium, right? And so we're watching this thing, and on the screen, that was impressive. And so he touched these... these um, these strings and these sounds would come forth and there were lights. It was just so cool. And they did these cool things with different kind of drums that you'd never seen and all that. Well, my point here is I was sitting next to um, our worship leaders, Dan and Jill, and, 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 they were, and I can't remember which one it was, but they were saying, can you imagine being in that room? You would feel that sound. Can you imagine being in that room? And my mind, with this lesson coming up, my mind started going, can you imagine the day? The day when all evil has been eradicated, death has been defeated. We see God face to face. We get to, we get to see all of our loved ones who've gone before us. That day, that day of huge celebration, can you imagine the first note? You know, there's a dear brother who sits usually right here at um, the 9 o'clock service. His name's Rick. How many of you know Rick? If you come to the 9 o'clock service, you know Rick. He's in a, in a wheelchair. He's um, unable to do a lot of things that, that, that we can, but he loves to sing. You'll probably see him when we do our choir. Rick's going to be in that choir. Rick's going to be in that choir. You know, it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. But it's not just the temple that we have, we have as a jumping off point. We also have the garden. There's continuity not just with the temple, but with this original paradise, this garden. Let's talk about that for just a second. Prior to the fall, God looked at everything he created. Okay, so he creates this paradise before sin enters in. And before sin enters in, he says what? It is good. 
God creates this paradise, and this paradise is good. Now, we have a jumping off point then, because this is good. So as we speculate, let's use that from from a starting point of what the new heaven, the new earth could be like. When God created the first heaven and the first earth, he didn't just get two people and give them each a cell phone. And uh, and then you go over there with your cell phone. You go over there and why don't you text once in a while? He didn't do that. He made man and women his own image. And then he created this amazing world. This amazing world. And Adam and Eve got to do stuff. Not digital stuff, real stuff. There was discovery, and there was challenge, and there was adventure. It wasn't like that movie Wally, where they just sit back and they just let everything do everything for them, and they experience it. For, they got to do it for real. There was excitement. There was challenge. I remember seeing an old Twilight Zone a long time ago, so it's really fuzzy, but I think it went something like this. In the old Twilight Zone, there was a shady guy, and I can't remember his name, so we'll just call him Shady Guy. So shady guy passes from this life to the next. And he was an unrepentant shady guy. So he's kind of nervous when he woke up into the new reality. Oh, I'm probably in that place where I didn't want to go. But as he's going through this new existence, everything seems to be going his way. Shady guy plays cards. He always wins. He's like, woohoo, I'm in heaven. Shady guy goes to play pool. Every shot that he tries to make, he sinks the ball. He's like, this is the best. Love this place. Well, this goes on for a little bit. And every time he plays cards, he always wins every hand. And every time he plays pool, he always makes every shot. And so Shady Guy's like, where's the excitement? This is not as much fun as I thought it would be. I'm just barely getting started here in this heaven thing, and I'm already getting bored. Like a lot of people picture of heaven where it's like Wally spaceship. Well, it was interesting because in Twilight Zone, Shady Guy turns to this guide who's kind of guiding him through this new world and he says, come on. I, I, this is just all too easy. This is Everything's being like done for me. I thought heaven would be better than this. Have you seen the episode? The guide turns to Shady Guy and says, who said this was heaven? Who said this was heaven? It's not just good. I think we've got the garden as the jumping off point. This world that God gave him. God created this world of wonder. We went went here a couple weeks ago. Go here again. God created this world full of wonder. There was challenging stuff, exciting stuff. God set Adam and Eve into a world with mountains that had never been seen, let alone climbed. There was food that had never been tasted and combinations of food that had never been tasted. There were flowers that had never been smelled. There were precious stones and metals that had never been mined. There were animals that had never been ridden or touched or interacted with. There were seas that had never been explored. Can you imagine when the concert lets out and the doors open to the new earth. What waits for us? What waits for us? I've shared before of a dream I had once of heaven. And, and in this dream, there were two horizons. And on one horizon, there was the city. And the city was huge. I could just see the silhouette, but it reminded me of when you drive in eastern Colorado, which is just nothing, and then you begin to see the mountains. It was that kind of scale. So there's a city that's as big as mountain range. 
And I'm like, that would be cool to go see that. But on the other side, there was this tree. And the tree was as big as the mountain range-sized city. And I'm like, that would be cool. I wonder what's over there. And then what lies beyond either of those? Again, I'm speculating, but I think we have a jumping-off point based on what God created. Paradise. There's a new earth that's waiting. This is one of the reasons we talk about this. So I try to talk about this with my girls. We talk about the new heaven and the new earth. What's it going to be like? What are we going to see? What are we going to discover? And not just what are we going to see, what are we going to discover, but guess who we get to see? We talk about that too. They never got a chance to meet my dad. And they're going to get a chance to meet my dad. How exciting is that? And that brings us to the last one here. There's not just continuity with the temple, with worship, but now worship beyond anything we've experienced and not exclusive, but open to all who are in Christ. There's going to be continuity with the garden, this new earth full of wonders, the likes of which we haven't seen yet, just hints of it. There's also going to be a continuity with our bodies and a continuity with relationships. Again, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. The Bible says we're going to be given new bodies. And Paul specifically, the Apostle Paul, this guy who wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote much of the New Testament. Paul compares the relationship between our existing bodies and our resurrecting bodies. He says it's like, it's like our existing bodies are a seed that's sown into the ground. And there's continuity when that seed bursts forth, but there's also something new. He compares it to that, a seed that's, that, that, that's planted and something new springs forth from it. There's continuity, but there's also differences. And Jesus was a prototype of that. How many were at, uh, or hold that question for a second. Jesus had, was a prototype of that. Jesus gave us a glimpse into these new bodies after his resurrections. And they had some pretty cool upgrades. New body, doors are locked, Jesus is in. How does that happen? Jesus, it says, he's, he's talking to these people after his, his death, his resurrection, and then he ascends into heaven. That's a cool upgrade. So here's what I was going to ask earlier. How many of you did capture the chicken last night? All right, a lot of coffee running through your brains, or through your brains, through your bodies right now. Can you imagine playing capture the chicken with the resurrected bodies? That's going to be fun. That's going to be really fun. That would be a twist. Well, best of all, best of all, new bodies, new relationships. Best of all, no one is going to feel alone. No one's going to feel left out. We, we get this hint in this cryptic thing that, that Jesus himself says about marriage. And it appears as though the unity that we're going to experience as people united by Christ will be so complete. Listen closely to every word. The unity that we experience as a people united by Christ will be so complete that marriage and family as we know it would seem redundant. Let me say that again. The unity we will experience as a people united by Christ will be so complete that marriage and family, the best you can imagine of marriage and family, it will be redundant in heaven. That's the type of unity everyone will experience. Anyone else get just a little excited about what's coming? Do you see why we should talk about this once in a while? Why we should dream about this? Envision this? All right, well, with the last couple minutes that we have left, let's talk about how you gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And let's start with this. You can write this in your notes. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven is granted in this life. Here's one more use of 
of heaven that we really haven't explicitly mentioned yet. And that is this idea. Let me, let me illustrate it. We've drawn this before, a Venn diagram. I didn't know this was called a Venn diagram. And someone said, you know what? You just drew the heaven diagram. They said, you can use that. All right. You've got earth. You've got heaven. Kingdom of heaven is this. This, this time before these two become new heaven, new earth. You have the opportunity to enter this right now. You have the opportunity to enter this right now. To enter the kingdom of heaven now. That's something, read, especially read Matthew, Mark. You see them talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and they're talking about it, Jesus himself, talking about it as something that happens right now, that you enter into now. And in fact, if you don't enter into it now, it appears as though you don't enter into it here. So how do you enter into it? Well, let's illustrate this. Um, some of you might have noticed we have a little, uh, one of these helicopters. Anybody have seen these at the mall before? Anybody seen these? All right. Emma, you ready? Now, could you guys just, we're going we're gonna to do this right here. And uh, we, we did it in the back for the 9 o'clock hour, and uh, we needed more space, but there's all kinds of people back there. So you guys might want, we're going to launch this from here. You might want to maybe move, yeah, yeah, that'd probably be wise. We've got liability insurance, but we'd rather not have our deductible go up. Okay, so um, you powered up there? All right. Emma, now, she is a trooper for doing this because we only, I saw this thing in the mall, like, this week and picked it up, and uh, it, what's that? Two days ago, and the battery life of this is, like, seven minutes, so she's had 14 minutes of flight school here, and she's going to fly this in front of all of you, and it's a lot touchier than you might think. All right, so, here's what I saw. So, I'm walking through the mall, and I see this. And I thought, that is very cool. Nice job. And no one got hurt. Woo! Thanks. That was perfect. Great job, Emma. That was awesome. That was awesome. All right. Let's talk about this. Now, here's, let's use this as a jumping off point to talk about entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So let's say you're in the mall. You see this thing at the kiosk right down in Rosedale Mall. You can check after, after the service. It's probably air-conditioned. Just hydrate well before you go. All right. So... How do you get one of these? Let's say you say you see this, you're like, I want one of those. That looks great. Well, you can have one provided you are what? Willing and what? Able. If you are willing and able, you can have one of these things. There needs to be a willingness. You need to be able to say, I want that thing. But then you have to be able because they don't give them away free. You have to pay a price for them. They're not cheap. They're not cheap kingdom of heaven. Are you willing? Are you able? Let's start with able. You're not able. Because entrance into the kingdom of heaven is granted on the basis of righteousness. He is a perfect and holy king. We're going to press into this more next week. So if it's a little bit fuzzy, come back. We're going to spend the whole time pretty much talking about this. Our question for next week is what makes Good Friday good? We're going to press into this more. But, but the Bible says you're not able because only the righteous gain access to the kingdom of heaven. And how many of you have ever done something unrighteous? We're in church. All right? If you didn't put up your hand, you just did something unrighteous, you lied. <laughs> we all have, the, the scripture itself, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Nobody in their own merit is able. And what's the price? Well, the price, okay, you say, all right, I'm not able now. I've done right. So I need to un- unrighteous myself. You can't un- unrighteous yourself because it takes a perfect sacrifice, a sinless life. And that's only happened once. Where God, who so loved the world, gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says God, who is rich in mercy, made it possible. He made it able. He, he made it possible for us to enter the kingdom of heaven through the sacrifice of his son. Again, we'll talk more about that in the details, how and why, next week. God took care of the able. Here's your part. Are you willing? And, and this is not one of these simplistic things. When I say willing, this is not everyone in this room would say, well, yeah, given the alternative, of course I'd be willing. Here's what it means. It's a kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. The willingness is, will you let God be king? Will you say to God, God, you're the king. Here I am. What you say, I'll do. What you ask, I'll do. That's the willingness part. Are you willing to let God be king? And as I look at the scriptures, it says you make that decision now. Are you willing to say, God, thank you. Thank you for making it possible for me to enter into your kingdom. Thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. Are you willing to say, thank you for your grace and forgiveness, for the chance to start over? Again, one of the amazing things about grace is God doesn't say, go fix everything, because we can't. There's some things we can fix. Most things we can't. We can't go back. And God says, you don't have to. I paid the price for that. Going forward, will you accept that? And allow me to forgive you and make you righteous. So would you say from this day forward, okay, God, you are the king. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me your ways. Help me to discover the plans and purposes that you have for me on this earth. You gave me everything good that I have. I offered back to you. Are you willing to do that? Well, I want to give you a chance to respond right now. So if, if we could just have everyone focus in and on God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in a, in a prayer here. And, and um, perhaps this is something you want to pray for the first time. Perhaps this is something you want to pray again for the first time. You don't have to do it out loud, but if you could um, agree with me in, in the deepest part of who you are. This is us entering in. Father, I want to begin, we want to begin by, by saying how much in awe we are of this world you've created. Forgive us for just sitting around with, with, with pixels instead of reflecting on the wonder of your creation. Forgive us for letting the trivial consume us. Lord, we pray that your spirit would descend on this room even now and, and open our eyes to the wonder of this world which includes minds that are capable of creating smartphones. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that, that and that sounds so trivial, but, but we say thank you for making it possible for us to enter into this kingdom. You talk about exclusive entry. Thank you, God, for allowing us, and you can personalize that. Thank you for allowing me access into your kingdom as messed up as I am, as broken as I am, 
thank you that you're inviting me right now. You are inviting me in. Get a picture in your head. Picture this garden, this walled paradise that no one can sneak into. Picture this. Picture the gate. Picture you are being invited. You are being called. You are being summoned. You're being, being, there's a huge smile. Come on. Come in. You're being welcomed. Someone needed to hear that. You are being welcomed in. Thank you, God. Such grace is, is beyond our comprehension. But you gave us a jumping off point when you laid down your life for us. Thank you, Lord. We come in, Father, and we come in humble. We come in from a state of on our knees and, and saying, thank you. You are the king. I yield my life to you. What you say, I will do with your help. What you ask, I, teach me your ways, fill me with your spirit. But now I see in my head, I can picture this vision. Now from your knees, you're lifted up. And he says, come, son, daughter, let's go. Let's start walking out this new life. Lord, so thank you for that, Father. Thank you for calling us your sons and your daughters, your beloved, your friends. Help us to, to grasp as best we can the wonder of all that, that you're not just our king. You're our Father. So thank you, Lord. We willing it now. We lay our lives before you. We acknowledge that everything we have that is good came from you. And so we give it all back to you. And we say, Lord, for whatever plans and purposes you made me, show me what they are that I may walk in your ways. Amen. Well, if, um, if that's something you'd like to talk more about, let us know. We'd love to continue that conversation with you. Um, there's some people, too, whether it's about this or whatever, that after the service, we always have folks that would love to pray with you about anything um, before you leave. So keep that in mind as well. Well, as you go, let me pray a blessing over you. So would you please stand? We bless us as we go forth to whatever you've got next. Let's pray. Lord, as we go forth in this place, I pray that you will bless us. Thank you that you desire to bless us. And so, Lord, I want to pray the blessing that we gave the 9 o'clock here today. And we pray that you will bless us by helping us to see how we've already been blessed. Would you give that blessing to us today, Father? Bless us by helping us to see how much we've already been blessed. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. See you next week.